Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleach Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. I expected to do a podcast with my man, Ryan Hollins, and then one with Will Blackman before doing another friendless episode, but Ryan skipped off to Istanbul for a vacation without telling anyone, or at least anyone connected to the podcast, and then after I tracked him down, he got seasick on the day we were supposed to record. So, here I am again. Truth is, I don't mind because there are a couple of topics I've wanted to get off my plate, and this makes it a little easier to do just that. The first is an assessment of Team USA after its 98-94 loss to Australia in its last exhibition before the start of World Cup competition. Now, I know everybody's talking about Andrew Luck and his sudden retirement, and Will and I will uh, break that down in the very next podcast, but I wanted to get this out of the way since it is a solo gig. Um, I saw that loss to Australia described as stunning in several places. It wasn't. Luck abruptly deciding to retire, that is stunning. Yes, the USA loss ended a 7-8 game winning streak, the longest in program history. But look, Greg Popovich told you Australia is capable of winning gold. Are there fans and reporters and editors who just assume it's our birthright to win gold every time we play or that Pop was just saying that because they were in Australia? He told you, I'm not saying this just because I'm in Australia. I can tell you, and as someone who covered the program in the late 90s and early 2000s, I can tell you it's not our birthright. One of the reasons Pop said what he said is because four of Australia's starters are proven NBA players. Patty Mills is one of them, who plays for Pop. And the game was played in Australia to a full house. As an aside, did anybody notice that they had no baseline seats, but what seemed to be about 100 plus rows of floor seats that started about 15 feet behind the basket? I'm, I'm just wondering, those people back in rows 50 and beyond, what were they seeing? It's... It was like concert seating, except obviously the musicians and the singers and whatever would be 
up on a stage. So if you were that far back, it wouldn't be a big deal. You could look up and see everything that you needed to see. The floor was raised, but not to the point, I would imagine, that those people way, 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 way in the back were actually being able to witness what was going on in the game. And I didn't see enough video cameras or flat screens to suggest that they had other ways of watching the game. So just wondering exactly about that. Also, you know someone has taken a ghastly spill when an Aussie crowd cringes and goes, ooh, which is what happened when the fans saw a replay of Derek White who bounced his forehead off the hardwood in the fourth quarter. I watched it once, and then I watched it once with my wife. I couldn't watch it again. It was, well, it was rough. It does not appear that it is going to uh, impact Derek and his ability to play in the World Cup competition. He did get stitches. He did have to go through concussion protocol. But by all indications, he's going to be okay. But that was nasty. Literally, head bounced off of the floor. Uh, Back to the faux shock and outrage at the loss. First of all, it was an exhibition. It goes to show the difference between what these games mean to Team USA and the rest of the world. Australian players reacted as if they just won a championship. You know how Team USA would have reacted if they'd won? Just roll back to the first exhibition, which they did win, going away. No reaction. Because in the big scheme of things, it didn't mean anything. And neither does this loss. I know, it ends the streak. Punches a hole in what we think is our worldwide dominance. That was paper thin anyway, realistically. Team USA got a valuable lesson out of it, actually. They learned that they can't coast past anyone. And here's a newsflash. They may lose again in the real competition. And that won't be shocking either. It's not just about the stars that aren't playing. It's about how much NBA talent is now playing for other national teams. National teams and countries who winning at this point just means more. It's about how the reward of winning can be more motivating than the fear of losing, which is what Team USA is motivated by. They're not motivated by winning. We expect them to win. If they win, ho-hum. It's what might happen if they lose. And it's about how championship teams in any sport, any competition, aren't just about talent. That seems to be harder and harder to convey to uh, at least a certain swath of the fans these days. That it's it's not numbers, it's not it's not all star appearances. I mean, I and but it's not just the fans. I'm beginning to wonder if any critical thinking goes into covering the sport of basketball anymore. I can forgive knuckleheads on Twitter wondering how Mason Plumley made the team or is playing more than Brooke Lopez. It's a mostly free country after all, so people have the liberty to share their ignorance about anything and everything on social media platforms. For those who may have the same question as the knuckleheads but are smart enough not to make wise cracks out in public and thereby thereby advertise their cluelessness. Look, Mason Plumley is a smart basketball player who knows how to impact the game without touching the ball. He's also more agile and athletic than you might think. 
and certainly more agile and athletic than Brooke. And he's a better passer, which in international play with Biggs playing away from the basket is vital. That there are American basketball fans who don't understand Plumlee's value to a team, especially one built like this particular team, could be taken as an indication of how the fantasy and highlight perspective of the game has deceived some fans about how the game really works. As I said, they seem to think that numbers tell the story, or all-star selections, or amazing highlights. What does Fred Van Vliet's highlight reel look like? Probably not that sexy. But the Raptors aren't champions without him. Yeah, I know what Kawhi Leonard did. But I also know what Fred and Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam did. And I'm not talking about the offensive end. Yeah, Fred hit some big shots. Specifically, the defense and rebounding they provided, which wore the Warriors down. Who, by the way, were sort of operating off of the same template as this Team USA. Winning was going to be a relief. It was what they were expected to do by most, not me. And it's difficult to generate the same amount of enthusiasm and energy with a team that is going for it for the first time. And in the case of knowing that Kawhi Leonard may not be sticking around, the one time that they can get it done. So, uh, and, and by the way, defense and rebounding, speaking of which, those were the biggest failings by Team USA in that exhibition loss to Australia. And yet, yet not one piece that I read mentioned it. Okay. Sorry for the digression. I probably shouldn't look at Twitter before recording the podcast or pay as much mind to stupid tweets as I sometimes do. It just rankles me to read someone busting on a player because they don't understand the game or what goes into building a winning team. And it's okay to be uncertain about what a guy does or what his value is, but to advertise it in social media or in the public as if you know uh, or that you're questioning it is justified because it's apparent to everyone that Mason Plumley can't play is what drives me a little batty. Haven't we learned, or we should have, in the late 90s and early 2000s, that picking all-star teams doesn't work, especially in international competition. But even in the NBA, I defy you to show me a champion that didn't prove to be greater than the sum of its parts. The reason that the Warriors won was certainly they had a core of great players. But their real secret sauce was the strength in numbers, where the Andre Iguodala's and the Sean Livingston's, when they could bring quality players off of the bench. Those guys played big roles. They're the greatest example. Andre Iguodala ended up being a finals MVP. I don't know if it's necessarily justified, but it goes to show just how vital depth is. I can't think of a championship team that didn't get crucial contributions from so-called non-stars in clutch situations. And that's what I love about watching national team tryouts. You can see who understands how to play the game beyond overpowering someone with their speed and length or having the ball in their hands and making something happen. I mean, one-on-one make something happen. It's like 
summer league for NBA regulars. Most players, when it comes to summer league, you don't have a system tailor-made for you or teammates hand-selected to accentuate your strengths and cover your weaknesses as you do in college. And as you do with, if you're a star of any note and play for a team of any quality, sort of you get the same thing in the NBA. Teams are built to illustrate what stars can do and to cover up for their weaknesses. In international play for Team USA and Summer League, players have to learn how to adapt on the fly. And it requires reading situations as they arise and making the right decision and doing all of it with relatively unfamiliar pieces. Unfamiliar coach, unfamiliar system, unfamiliar teammates, and unfamiliar opponents. So much so that players who understand the science of the game, even if they're not uber-athletic, are enjoying long and fruitful careers because athleticism alone isn't enough. Now, you have to have a certain requisite size, strength, speed to be able to play in the NBA. But there are guys that are far inferior in some of those categories that are very impactful players. Maybe not super superstars, but they're enjoying careers, you know, double-digit year careers. And they may never be stars because that is reserved for the crazy athletic wonders. But paradoxically, their value was almost heightened because they've been forced to learn the nuances of the game to be able to play. Nuances that seemingly the majority of players don't recognize or can't exploit or feel as if they don't need to pay attention to them. I'm just going to overwhelm you with my sides, size, speed, strength. I'm talking about guys like Jared Dudley, Van Vliet, Joe Ingles, Matthew Dellavedova. Maybe throw Mason Plumlee in there too. These are guys that aren't the most athletic, aren't the biggest, aren't long and lean and super quick with huge verticals. And yet, they're all in the league and playing vital parts for their respective teams. Now, I'm probably preaching to a choir that heard this sermon last week because those who listened to this podcast knew what to expect from Team USA. I told you that they desperately needed Marcus Smart for his leadership because the team was so bereft of take charge guys and that Kemba Walker was probably the number two. Lo and behold, a few days after that episode, Pop tells the media he's looking to Marcus and Kemba to be the leaders of the team. It's And look, I'm, I, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back. It's obvious, or at least it was obvious to me. You go and you watch. I didn't need to talk to anybody. You just cover the league. You know who has the, the ability to lead, that presence on the floor, and not afraid to tell guys what they need to do. That, that is what is most amazing to me is, and I see it in, at the youth levels too. See it with my, my son's teams, my daughter's teams, both in AAU. You, it's hard to find kids who will take the reins and say, this is what we're supposed to do. It's like everybody's afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. I don't remember being like that, and I don't remember playing, <laughs> playing on teams that were like that. And I'm not like that now. I'm going to tell you 
what I think. And I'm going to tell you if I don't think things are being done correctly. So, anyway, I also talked about how this Team USA is missing a proven go-to guy. And lo and behold, they lose down the stretch to Australia in that second exhibition because Patty Mills was a better closer than anybody in a Team USA jersey. Fact. Now, let's keep some perspective. Aside from the home court advantage that will not exist in China during the World Cup, the incredible motivation for the boomers to reward their hungry fans with an epic upset versus no motivation for the U.S. other than to avoid being ripped to shreds on social media, Mills banked in a desperation three from high above the key that put Australia up four in the final minutes and prompted a Team USA timeout. It was a big, big, big play, and basically he lucked into a bank. Uh, Add in that Smart had seven points and three assists with no turnovers, only played nine minutes. I assume that's because they knew it was an exhibition and he's still obviously coming back from from the calf injury that kept him out at the early part of training camp. I would imagine Pop looked at it, got a look at, they came out of the gate. Their defense was, was, was bad. Their offense was lights out. They couldn't miss. I'm going to assume, without having talked to Pop, because I'm not with the team over there, I'm going to assume that he simply he got to look at what Smart could do, he got to look at the starting lineup, said, okay, got this in my pocket. Basically taking a cue from the way international teams approach it, which is they try Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Not to show their best cards in these exhibition games. Uh, Derek White also played only nine minutes. Uh, and they were just as productive as Smarts. Eight points, three rebounds. Uh, he probably would have played a little bit more if he hadn't uh, had the head injury. But nonetheless, even even if he had played, what, that was fourth quarter with... I'd have to go back and look. Midway through the fourth quarter. So he's still top, if he finishes out the game, uh, maybe 15 minutes. I would imagine when he needs to. And look, here's the thing. There are ample reasons to believe that if Pop had gone all out or White hadn't banged his head on the floor, Team USA could have eked out a win. But here's the thing. A win only would have camouflaged that a gold medal is far from a guarantee. And you can add Anthony Davis or Bradley Beal to this squad, and I'm not sure anything would be different. Beal might give them a better option as a go-to guy, but honestly... Hasn't Donovan Mitchell made more big-time clutch plays than Beal? And yet, playing with unfamiliar teammates in an unfamiliar system and against unfamiliar systems and styles has left him searching for how to deliver in the clutch. I saw that already in the scrimmages. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't look good. When he tried to take it himself, he didn't look good. And I was told by people in the, in the, in the program that one of their concerns was they didn't have that go-to guy. Kemba Walker, 
Yes and no. Yes, has the heart to go get it. Doesn't necessarily have the complete game, size, physique to get it against any matchup. So that's the challenge that is facing Team USA. And I don't have a problem with them. You could The talent is not the, the deal. Honestly, I think the really missing element is that the, uh, the returns, the redeeming value is lost. You know, after we fell off, we had the redeemed team, and then it became a thing like, yes, let's reassert our dominance. That was the motivation. And it was effective. Now, what's the motivation? We proved ourselves once again. It's almost like, it's almost as if we have to fall off in order for guys to see, uh, to have a reason to come back out and play and simply have something to play for, to be the team that won gold again. All right, before we continue, I do want to mention uh, Republic Jet Center. For those of you who fly privately, there's a reason you do. And there's a reason you do, especially when you're flying into the New York metro area, and that's to avoid delays. So when flying into NYC, Republic Jet Center in Farmingdale, New York, should be your only choice. I, I, I know, Teterboro, White Plains, those are the popular spots. They're also backed up all the time. They, they really work against the reason that you are flying private. If you fly into Republic Jet Center, you'll experience all the reasons why you're spending the extra dime to fly private. Not only can you land and take off on time, but getting to the city can be as quick as a 12-minute helicopter ride which their white glove concierge service will gladly arrange while you're hanging out in their brand new 100,000 foot square foot facility with an array of snacks, beverages provided all while you wait. If you've never flown flown private, you should find out what it's all about by visiting www.republicjetcenter.com. And for those who already are part of the private jet set, mention this ad and RJC will provide a discount on your refueling cost. By the way, You may have heard that after the loss, the Team USA program shut down the ability to leave comments on their Instagram post, and apparently some people were ripping them for it. Not me. There's no law or moral obligation to provide a forum for trolls to spit venom or spew hate. There's no value in it either. I guarantee you, the people leaving comments are not supporting the national program in any meaningful way. My reaction to the move? Way to show some guts, Team USA. The fan is not always right or smart. There are countless examples to the contrary, a few of which I gave earlier in this podcast, and I say none of this with any pleasure. To be clear, I appreciate, I am grateful for everyone who listens to the podcast, who watches me on TV, who reads my work, who follows me. I do. I am grateful. But. The idea that I am now beholden to you and that I, I just get I get the sense that there are people out there that now look at calling themselves a fan and using that as a cover for whatever inappropriate behavior they want to indulge themselves in. As if, as a fan, you can do no wrong. There's nothing beyond the pale. And that's just not true. 
or shouldn't be. I'm going to I'm going to call you out. And that's not being a fan anyway. I mean, honestly, uh, uh look, it makes me a little sad that I even have to go into this. I am loath to chastise fans. I don't see it as part of my job description. But just because someone follows sports or even a team doesn't make them a fan in my book. Someone saying they're a fan doesn't make them one. And can we be, when we're talking about this Team USA, can we be logical about this for just a second? Are we all in agreement that this is not the best Team USA we're capable of putting together? That it's a cobbled together team, that these are the best of who was available. The director, Jerry Colangelo and Greg Popovich, and the coaching staff have been scrambling for the last few weeks, what with guys like De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, bailing for no discernible reason. So if we agree on all that, how in the hell do you rip into the guys who are willing to fight the good fight, who did sign up, regardless of what you might think of them and their talent? These are guys who aren't worried about their minutes or their role, or that winning a gold medal is not assured, and all that comes with coming home with something less. What about all that deserves scorn? and? warrants that Team USA leave the gates open for that scorn to be heaped upon them? How is ripping into them with such flawed logic being a fan? Yes, I know fan is short for fanatic, but do you know what the definition of fanatic is? It's someone who shows, this is directly from uh, Merriam-Webster, it's someone who shows excessive enthusiasm and intense, uncritical devotion to someone or something. I'm not making that up. That's the definition. So we've now got jackasses exercising all manner of jackassery under the cover of being fans. Fan has now become a cover for having a resentment and exercising it, or justifying some sort of inappropriate behavior. Now I know this isn't, this isn't, the, this is a minority that I'm talking about. I know the vast majority of you, and I like to think the vast majority of the people who follow me and consume my work, because I'm not into just you know yelling and trying to embarrass people. I know there's some fans who get a pleasure out of either doing that or seeing someone else do it. That's not what I try to do. And I hope I don't sound sanctimonious in saying it. I just It just seems inherently unfair. If I was the athlete or I was the coach, I wouldn't want to be treated that way. So I try to treat people as I would want to be treated. You can treat, you can judge me. You can judge me harshly. But I would hope you would judge me fairly. So, and look, and, and I think I've proved it. There's a way to acknowledge the flaws or shortcomings of a player or a team without insulting them or acting as if their shortcomings are a, a, a personal flaw of theirs or an affront to your sensibilities. And this, this is a different matter. This team and these players did nothing other than to pledge their time and energy to try and win a gold medal. The loss to Australia in no way prevents that from happening. If you lost a little bit of your swag because they lost, then you're borrowing it from them anyway. They didn't brag about beating the Aussies or say anything that would make the loss a reason for derision. 
All right. Finally, I want to address Dwight Howard joining the Lakers. Essentially, the idea is he will replace DeMarcus Cousins, who is out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's report was that the Lakers told Howard very sternly, Woj's word, not, not mine, that any attempt to disrupt the team would not be tolerated. As if that's the biggest worry the Lakers might have about Dwight. How about the fact that he shoots well below 50% outside of three feet? Or that he's a poor free throw shooter? Or that for the last five seasons, DeMarcus has had a positive assist turnover ratio and Dwight has never had that in his entire career. The days of Dwight being able to disrupt a locker room, those are long gone. That's only when you carry a little juice. But so are the days that a player of Dwight's skill set could impact the game in any meaningful way. That's less a knock on him. I think he can still play. I think he can capture some semblance of what he was. But what he was is not of the same value in today's game that it was the last time we saw him playing with any sort of dominance. You want to just look at the defensive side of things? Cousins' defense is as much about his ability to make steals as it is to protect the rim. Dwight has never demonstrated, neither one of them has a lot of mobility. Their size will dissuade certain guys from attacking. But the second they, they realize that they don't have the same mobility, mobility or the offense can make the ball move so that it goes from side to side and you can tack from the weak side, and now these guys got to move to come over and help defend, uh, as soon as they get a measure on that, they're coming all day long. Cousins' defense is about as is, is much about his ability to make steals landbound as it is to protect the rim. Dwight has never demonstrated any ball-hawking skills whatsoever. Now look, I'm all for redemption stories. And Dwight, for most of his career, struck me as just a lost, immature soul. I knew that from the time that I knew he was leaving Orlando. I knew he wanted to leave Orlando. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it from people close to him. I knew it. And yet when I walked into the Magic Locker Room one time, he confronted me as if I was just making it up. And then lo and behold, he went in. He wanted to leave. He got convinced. He got pulled into a room all by himself. Magic persuaded him without his agent there, the late Dan Fagan, to opt in to the extra year. And then they had control over him. The second he did it, he regretted it. But he was looking to leave the whole time and eventually forced his way out. And he was acting, when I walked in, as if he had no intention of doing that. He had every intention to do that. Brooklyn, by the way, was his first choice because he honestly didn't want the pressure of going to the Lakers, being the next big man. Going to Brooklyn, which had no track record, uh, allowed him to be in a big market. Uh, if he gets him to a playoffs, he gets him to the second round. I mean, it's a little bit like what KD's doing now. He does anything, it he's, he's a god in the eyes of that franchise. He'd taken Orlando to the finals but didn't win, and it still kept him in the shadow of Shaquille O'Neal. So, anyway, um, 
where was I? All right, so um, the truth of the matter is I don't see where Dwight, even if he regains a modicum of what he was at the peak of his career, has an impact. The big centers, and they, and they are, they're making a comeback of sorts, but those who are doing it are operating eight feet, 18 feet away from the basket or are capable of affecting the game from that point, either with their passing or their scoring. Dwight isn't effective at either end that far out on the floor. I mean, I just, I look at teams going small and finding a way to pull him out. And, and again, we're talking about the Lakers. We're talking about championship aspirations. Like Cousins isn't necessarily comfortable defending out there, but at least at the other end, he can, he can knock down a three. So he's going to do the same to the other big. And if Dwight's posting up, it's to score. Not to draw a double team and kick, if anyone would even think about double teaming him at this point in his career. Look, as I see it, the, the Lakers do owe him something, for sure. Because I was there when he signed and uh, he was part of that team. He had, a back, he had back surgery. He arguably ruined his career. Again, same as when with Orlando. He got induced to do something that wasn't in his best interest. With Orlando, it was signing. It was opting in to the extra year. With the Lakers, it was playing at the start of the season, even though he could barely do toe raises. His back was still that jacked up. And I don't know that he ever recovered from that. Certainly his reputation didn't. But I have a hard time believing the Lakers fans are going to take all that into consideration they're more likely to act as if he owes them something for that previous disappointing run in a Lakers uniform, no matter what the reason was for it. Uh, And I don't agree with the headline I saw that described his anticipated decision as low risk, high reward. I I would phrase it as no foreseeable reward, high probability of misery for all involved. Okay. Okay. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless. By the way, DJ Tony, the Air Force One Kobe's are headed your way. For those who would like to be like DJ Tony and receive a gift from Buker and Friends, rate the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and then send a screenshot of that review to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible. In the next podcast, I will be joined by Will Blackman and we will get into the Andrew Luck retirement. Will believes Andrew will be back, and we'll find out why. Because I don't. And I'll explain why. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.